it is time to tune up the band, point your thumbs down and scream, yeah! It is uh, another pitch perfect sweet chinwag. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode. I am as ever Sam and joining me on this weird adventure through wrestling as ever is Dan and Reardon. Hello, gents. Hello, hello. hello. Oh, so we are on to part two of this long, 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 long journey through Triple H. Triple H. Triple? Triple H. Uh, I'm Scooby-Doo. <laughs> now, it's Triple H's journey as World Heavyweight Champion. But before this we get on to that, death march. <laughs> the forever winding death march. Uh, with those really cool dancing pool bearers. Um, <laughs> this is really dated, this podcast episode. But before we get on to that, we are giving you this podcast free thanks to the lovely people over at SoundCloud. I only say SoundCloud because, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, Other good companies are available, but they didn't want us. Yeah. I think Fine. we're just small fry in comparison to everybody else, it seems. Okay. Well, they'll see. They'll all see. <laughs> um, but yes, before we get on to this week's news and everything uh, um, to do with that, um, I just want to send out a couple of thanks and an amendment. Has uh, addendum? Amendum? An amendment. Amendment. amendment for the last episode. Triple H actually came out at number 22 in the 2002 Royal Rumble, not number 30. Uh, that was my mistake, because I remember Mr. Perfect coming out at 25 and Triple H was already in the ring. So there you go. That's a little bit of housekeeping done for last week's episode. Fair enough, fair enough. And a massive thanks to a lot of people when, when I started this, or when we, actually no, when I say I, when we started this and when I kind of wanted to get into this, a lot of people that kind of inspired me to go on and do this. Um, but, you know, off the top of my head, new Legacy Inc., Chris Denker, Pulse, Tony Pizza Guy, uh, Brian Zane, um, and last and certainly not least, JV1 and OOC at OSW Review. Thanks so much, guys, for giving me a lot of inspiration to just be so gun ho and kind of convince these guys to do a podcast with me. And if you guys want any thanks to like anyone in the wrestling community, do it now. I say, shoot, go for it. Who do I want to thank? Uh, I'd like to thank the Academy for. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, I would just say um, I would like to just say a quick thanks to all those in British wrestling. You guys are great. I love you. Keep up the good work, and I think I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd just like to give a quick shout out to the uh, lovely people who have. Either managed to tune into us or find out about us, and the people that um, uh, have managed to find us on Twitter as we started that now. Um, yeah. at Chinwag. We we are officially um, on Twitter. Yep, yeah. and any of the smaller promotions who have seen or that we've seen as well, um, a lots of support during this time, and uh, we look forward to all of you coming back. Uh, when this entire situation is over and everyone's allowed back into rooms again. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, last and certainly not least, thank you to all of our friends and family that we've bugged to at least give a click 
um, uh, to uh, make the views look good in our podcast. Uh, I, don't particularly, <laughs> I don't particularly care for that. <laughs> you don't care about the people? You could never be Dwayne Johnson. Anyway, uh, let's get on with uh, the catch-up on this on the last week of wrestling. And uh, there is no way to kind of skirt around it. It's been a bad week. It's been a really downer week uh, this mm, week in yeah. the world of wrestling. Um, releases... Uh, seemingly early retirements. But the first thing I want to get into is, of course, the one I think everyone knows in the wrestling community is is Shad Gaspard. Yeah, um, so who... just quickly, I'd like to do quick condolences out to his family. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I know that um, lots of things are quite speculative right now, but um, as of, I believe, quite recently, um, reports have said that uh, he may have been identified as dead. Um, but again, still major condolences out to his family and the wider wrestling community. He was a very well-regarded man, mm. uh, both for his work and as a person. Uh, and it is especially shocking at this time, uh, not least given the situation and the circumstances under which it happened. Absolutely. Um, not least the effect that it uh, will most likely have had on his family and his children as well. Mm. Um yeah. You know, no irony for me saying, and even though the gimmick was a little bit iffy at times, I really did enjoy Crime Time uh, and their time in the WWE. And I always thought of Shad as a really good big guy wrestler. And mm. um, JTG and Shad were always a really entertaining part of WWE at that time, if you ask me. Um, I can't, you know, I can't begin to like, kind of say, you know, if, if it's true, like the, what happened in the situation of him asking and shouting to the lifeguards to get his son first. I can't think of anyone more heroic in that situation than him. Mm. Yeah. Right. Just condolences to, the, to all family and friends of them. Just, yeah, it's a sucky situation. A really, really sucky situation. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, into another... Uh, unfortunate story um ember moon as well her career might be ending um given her yeah uh, horrible freak accident of an injury um it's a sad thing because i think ember moon is one of the best women's wrestlers and it's just unfortunate that she's been oh it's been dealt this yeah it's, it's definitely been um an unfortunate event for women's wrestling at this time Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm very, I'm, I, she's probably so frustrated. She's never really got her chance to really make the big name for herself that she obviously could have. Mm. I just hope, I hope that the fears are unfounded mm. and she comes back. I, I think, like, un until it's actually confirmed, I will keep as optimistic as possible in that. Maybe she'll bounce back. You never know. Yeah, I. I mean, for for me, I've got all all like all fingers and toes crossed that she, you know, she gets through this and makes a great comeback and rightfully earns her place on the main event scene with the women. Like because yeah. she's capable and she has got so much charisma and has one of the best finishers in the business. If you ask me, what's one way to make a stunner better? You do it off the top rope. I mean, I've heard worse ideas. <laughs> um, but at least we have some kind of like good news to kind of uh, go into. Uh, this week's NXT was, or last week's, I should say, uh, was was incredible. 
um, was a really, really good episode. Um, starting off with Imperium being the new tag team champions. Uh, Timothy Thatcher and Matt Riddle imploding. Uh, the another peek into the world of Karrion Cross, which I don't know about you guys, but I am so excited seeing Karrion Cross in NXT. Yeah, um, They better not mess it up. Because <laughs> he had such a really good run in Impact, and I, I mean, half the reason I was still watching Impact was because of Killer Cross. So to see him now in the in the big lights of WWE and in NXT. And given the, you know, you know, it's 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 not the most convenient situation to kind of debut, but the fact that no, people are, at, I mean, people are talking about him, I think, shows just how bloody good he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, what yeah, else? I was gonna briefly mention my uh, two points. Um, you can cut that a bit out, but um, <laughs> the the release. Uh, or the release or um, contract expiry of Drew Gulak with WWE. Mm. Um, Which I've heard is actually, it might not be, um, that might not be the case. I, I've heard conflicting reports, honestly. Yeah, mm. I've heard a lot of conflicting reports. So the main one that I've seen is that it was a contract expiry. But mm -hmm. again, that may not necessarily be the case. Um, but I feel like that's a, a loss for WWE. Yeah. Um, but clearly, uh, from the way it seems, he wasn't happy with how things were progressing. Uh, and not least with the reaction to WWE subsequent rebranding of him as Daniel Bryan's training partner in video that they released of their match for the yeah. IC title before he was released. Um, and then just another brief uh, No, I'm only going to mention this briefly, um, but in terms of outside of WWE, um, allegations raised by the wrestler, uh, female wrestler Lufisto for CZW. Yeah. Um, with allegations against the company relating to uh, the way that they handle licensing and the handling of licensing to an unnamed company who has uh, severely misrepresented their female wrestlers. I mm. highly recommend that you go and whoever's listening to this to go and find the videos done by her and read into it yourself. Uh, rather than me talking about it, because the way that she explains it is much more impactful and much more significant than I can do any justice at this current moment. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a crying shame, given that Lufisto has been such, uh, for me anyway, an integral part of CZW. Um, for this to happen, it was, it, was, it was a surprise and a little bit of a shock for me as well. Um, um, I definitely think it's a shock, in, in, especially in the wider context of the... Mm. ongoing revolution of women's wrestling that um things were as short as short-sighted to have happened like this yeah um not least in a promotion which has given so much forward attention and respect to its female wrestlers in the past but um hopefully the situation is uh resolved yes hopefully these these situations become more and more rare as time goes on yes. absolutely right jeez so you know, with this week being so up and down and up and down, let's well, let's just keep going with the up and down and the up and down. <laughs> um, <laughs> a little kind of um, shout out I want to give um, this week uh, is a documentary or a video essay that was released on YouTube this week by a creator called Joseph Montesillo on Monticello. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. He made an amazing. Uh, long-form video essay on why Daniel Bryan is the greatest wrestler of all time. And it is a highly, 
highly recommended uh, viewing. And uh, it's a very long video, but it does go into detail as to why he is probably one of the, or if not the, greatest performer that has ever set foot in between those four ropes. Um, it's funny you say that, because actually, uh, quite recently, um, some friends of mine, me and some friends of mine, had a conversation about um, you know who who we regard in various stages, and I did mention uh, Daniel Bryan in, uh, amongst that top group, um, yeah. and caught, caught a little bit of flack at first, but um, I think people came over to it. But yeah, I think still, that's between that's between me and my friends, and we can leave that for the wider audience <laughs> later. Yeah. Uh, but no, it is it's definitely a definitely a massive recommendation. Uh, not only is it uh, an amazing viewing, and you get to really look through the entire career of, of Daniel Bryan, um, but also exclusive interviews with uh, Chris Hero. Daniel Macabe, Eddie Kingston, Kevin Koo, and Robbie Eagles. So it's definitely like, I it comes with like the seal of approval, the sweet chinwag seal of approval. So go out of your way, search for Joseph Montesio on YouTube, and just sit back and relax on an amazing documentary. You can't be giving out those seals of approval so willy nilly, sir. Only on I'll back him here. I'll back him here. Oh, the two. Okay, two gets one. Fair enough. I'm just saying, guys, that you know, this is. I, I was not briefed on this situation, and um. <laughs> All right, it gets the Sam from Sweet Chimwags uh, seal of approval. Yeah. <laughs> I will. I will leave it to you two in your own free time to watch that documentary. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, um, and a, and the last little good thing um, in the world of wrestling is uh, is this whole thing with uh, Seth Rollins' character being quite good, if you ask me. It's I like his little his he's coming out in a suit now. His whole hair's uh, tied up, and he's helping Roman. Anyway, I think you know one of the better characters in WWE. If you ask me, <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to I'm starting to think like, is there something in the air with like cult leaders <laughs> in in wrestling? Is it that seems to be a, quite a thing? Look, cult leaders will always put butts in seats. Apparently, it's just like the go-to thing now for WWE. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I think Seth Rollins is just turning into another version of Jared Leto. Oh God! <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> oh, oh my God! No! Oh no! Oh, oh dear! You have just That's... opened up a whole can of worms there, Dan, that we could crumb. Oh, <laughs> yeah. like, I, need a, I need that, a moment. I need a moment. Oh my god. <laughs> we need to we need to process that. But um Um Oh god, what do I go to now? Oh yeah. Undertake the second part of Undertaker's documentary was really good. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Oh God! Right, no. Shall we? Shall we? Uh, shall we uh, conclude that now and get straight onto the main portion of our uh, of I'm our so podcast? <laughs> you just derailed us completely, then with that comment. That was just like bang. To be fair, it was more just a visual observation, but <laughs> I know. But it still was. It still blown real. my mind. It, it, too real. Too goddamn real. Oh no! <laughs> All right, so. Let us get then straight with that amazing segue. Let us get straight in <laughs> to the main portion. And this episode, Triple H and the Reign of Terror, 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 Volume Two, Two Thousand and Four to Two Thousand and Five. So, unless you didn't watch the last episode, 
Or Which watch, you should. Watch. Yeah. Listen. Do it. Do yourself watch, a service. Listen. Inject into your veins directly. Just get to it. Get to it. Absorb by osmosis as you sleep by playing it through headphones. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, like, do do that Mozart thing. I'm cool with that. As long as we get the as long as we get the click. Yeah. I'd be. I mean, I, I inject it in any way or consume it in any way you deem fit. Mm. So. We, where we last left off, Triple H was at the top of the mountain. Once again, world heavyweight champion after plowing through... Oh, God. Right, do we have to go through the list? Rob Van Dam, Kane, uh, Goldberg, Booker T. Freaking the WWE. Um, <laughs> in general, uh, every single WWE fan. Shawn Michaels. <laughs> so there was a long laundry list of people that he left through but we, as we uh, as we sign kind of saunter into the new year i kind of want to start in december 2003 because uh it doesn't end it doesn't end it's still still full force ladies and gentlemen good uh, lord help us as we go through all of this so good old 2003 <laughs> the the uh, the iraq war had begun Oh no! <laughs> oh god! Oh, we're, 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 if, if you we're call me that, bad and you say that, <laughs> I am merely stating a fact. All right, let us let us put us into the context of 2003. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the, the Iraq War was a thing. Um, I believe the Dixie Chicks were cancelled, if I'm thinking correctly. Lip biscuit uh, was still a thing. Oh hell god. yeah! <laughs> Did the Matrix re had the Matrix Reloaded come out by that point? I believe so. It, yeah. Was it two thousand? Was it two thousand three or four? It was two thousand three. Well, there you go. <laughs> Revolutions was just about to come out. Oh yeah, Revolutions was just about to come out. Good times. Good and time. Triple H was still on the top of the mountain of WWE. <laughs> so, a night after Armageddon. The HBK and Triple H rivalry is once again reignited, as we see uh, as we see a handicap match of Rob Van Dam and Shawn Michaels taking on Evolution in a, in quite a good handicap match, may I add. Um, and it starts off with Shawn Michaels getting the pin over Triple H and winning. So now we have, as we are now steamrolling into two thousand and four, we have. Actually, a really good way to start the year. Um, as the main event of Raw is for the World Heavyweight Championship. A 29-minute clinic between these two. Uh, but did have a bit of a dodgy ending. So, Eric Bischoff, after the referee's knocked out, I should say. Eric Bischoff runs down to the ring and uh, starts officiating the match for the final minutes. Shawn Michaels then gets Triple H into a pinning combination and eric bischoff counts the win Shawn michaels has won his music's going off the whole crowd goes crazy yes he's champion psych both shoulders were on the mat and eric bischoff announces that triple h has retained the world heavyweight championship on a draw you just love to see it don't you <laughs> them beautiful swerves the dusty finish 
Surely, it's like that's that's a like quintessential dusty finish. Okay. You're gonna okay. You explain the dusty finish. You be Pokedex there. All oh, right. So you've never heard of the dusty finish? I've heard of it, but I just like I could I actually cannot properly state it for some reason. <laughs> right. So the dusty finish was a nickname given to a specific ending of a wrestling match, where one wrestler looks to have made the win only to have the decision reversed on some technicality or something. And it was coined, of course, by the American Dream Baby at Death the Road. I'm sorry, uh, I know Dean uh, Ambrose can do that better than me, but uh, I just had to. It was still absolutely. good. Still good. I, I disagree. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was all... You've done better. Let's put it that way. You've done better. Oh, come on, baby. What are you trying to think? You got a bath to go. Oh my god! <laughs> I, bet you I bet you regret even asking what a dusty finish was, Reardon. I regret, it and I also regret that social distancing is a thing, so I can't find you and punch you. <laughs> That's a you problem, Reardon. <laughs> that is, uh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad I'm cooped up in my home with no one ever seeing me. Um, <laughs> the stage then is set for the 2004 Royal Rumble, Triple H. HBK, last man standing. Now, have you two actually watched this match? Yes. Maybe a billion years ago, cannot remember it. A bloody affair, as usual, for these two. Um, yeah, that was kind of their standard at this time. Oh, God, yeah. Just like, just, just like, basically bleeding everywhere. I mean, that's yeah. what happens when you have when you are best friends with someone in wrestling you like you know i thought about this in our inevitable um run at orpington wrestling for the dozens and dozens of fans <laughs> I, I, I tell you what our, our triple threat match is going to be an absolute barn burner oh absolutely you yeah know? absolutely <laughs> i'm going to injure myself trying to do a springboard move i'm just going to just i'm just going to blade profusely just like spew <laughs> everywhere it's just like I'm just gonna be in the just bleeding everywhere. As Sam, <laughs> as, as Sam and or Dan put me in the sharpshooter, <laughs> and you just hear the Booker in the back. It's actually just a two-man Boston crab. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Oh God, you just hear the Booker in the background going, "Ring the damn bell! Ring the damn bell!" <laughs> there will be no, no screw jobs at Alpington Wrestling. <laughs> No guarantees no. there from me. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna. Ah, oh, I, I, I promise I won't spit in your face that badly, there. <laughs> but that no, that's what happens when like you have like friends in who are good at what they do, ah. and just going at it. If there's one thing that has been kind of like a constant in my research and going back and watching these matches, is that these two always put on bloody good matches and mm. and you know if we're talking about the very few silver linings to all of this the one i will always bring up is the matches and this rivalry in general mm. um but yeah uh with this one a great back and forth match uh with yeah. the 20 minutes just flying right by like it did i mean it did not seem like 20 minutes even when i was watching it live and then going to uh, watching it now it felt more like 10 minutes. Um, and that, uh, that's what I've always liked about um, Triple H and Shawn Michaels matches is that, you know, they're the perfect amount of time. 
They don't mm. elongate it. They get just the right amount in the right space of time in their matches to make them bloody great. So, the end sees HBK with his last ounce of strength delivering switching music to Triple H with both of them not being able to make the 10 count in time. Thus, another draw and Triple H yet again retaining the title. I always like, little point here, I always love during like these like last bad standing matches or like matches where like both guys are absolutely knocked out for the count. How the referee comes comes in with the title, lifts their arm up and then just drapes the title on their body and then just leaves them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've, always, I've always loved that spot. I've always loved that spot. This <laughs> is like Earl Hebner's just like, just, just giving him his last rights and just popped the title on top of him. It's like, yeah, I'm... you can't walk anymore. All right, cool. Here's your title. Sick. <laughs> my, my job's done. Yeah. Match is over. <laughs> and then, you know, as everyone knows what Earl Hebner's like, he is, he is the expert in the quick getaway. Um, another yeah. Montreal screw job reference there, ladies and gents. Okay. I have to be Pokedex on that one. The Montreal okay. screw job. Probably the most important event in the history of wrestling. Montreal screw job refers to Bret Hart. The Hitman being screwed over his title match against Shawn Michaels by Vince McMahon. On his last day in WWF, may I mind? Oh, yeah, on his last ever day. It mm. is oh, one day from retirement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> let's be honest with the hindsight. He probably should have retired instead of going to WCW. Yeah. Yeah, oh. like uh, I of all, if you are ever to look something up, gentle listener, look up the Montreal screw job. It is honestly very, uh, absolutely fascinating. It is one of the most intriguing things. I just think in general, not even in in pro wrestling, of the yeah. backstage politics and the re uh, and the lines between reality and uh fiction or the fictional world of what we see in wwf blurring so much in that one moment it is crazy um and i didn't see it live as and even watching it back now um and watching subsequent media and reading it uh, reading about it and uh the amazing documentary Wrestling with Shadows, all about Bret Hart, you start to, you know, it still has that gravitas and that holy crud moment to it. Yeah. And it wasn't a work. It wasn't a work. I mean, if it were really a work, would have Bret Hart punched Vince McMahon so hard he left his feet? Like one uppercut, bang, and straight out of the locker room did Bret Hart go. We'll never know. We'll never know. Because honestly, I would believe that Vince McMahon would say, hey, just to make this real, actually punch me in the face as hard as you can. <laughs> just deck me. <laughs> oh. that's, that's, that is the annoying thing about wrestling. Because some of it is lies, but some of these people are so, so insanely almost deathly committed that they will do some of the most ridiculous things to make it 
to make it look real. Absolutely. What do you see in the dictionary? Shane McMahon. Yes, absolutely. Yes. absolutely. Shane McMahon. But we're getting off topic. <laughs> back. Let's get back to the Royal Rumble. So, it was at this Royal Rumble. I can't believe we're getting into this already. Like, just like with, uh, just like okay, with the Okay, don't, don't worry. I ha- don't worry. I have a cover for it. Okay. I've got a cover for it. Smackdown's okay. Stephen Richards. No. Um, Smackdown's Redacted. <laughs> Smackdown's Chris Benoit enters the Royal Rumble match at number one and goes the distance, lasting one hour and four minutes to win the Rumble and punch his ticket to WrestleMania 20. Now, look, it's a really hard thing as a wrestling fan to talk about About redacted about about Benoit because it's that thing where it's like everyone. Well, everyone in WWE has done their best to, to scrub Benoit's name from the history books um and everything that's happened uh subsequently before and after that with Benoit and um is yeah. is the the tragic <laughs> passing of his wife and son and his uh his suicide yeah. um but it's it's a shame because it because anytime <clears throat> we go back to it I always I'm it's that weird duality where I'm I like oh my god this was oh it's so good but it's, there's always that dark, lingering thing yeah. of what happened I'm, afterwards. I'm gonna, I'm not speaking for the position of everyone else on this podcast, mm. but uh, the position I take uh, is very much the one that was described in by Chris Jericho in the amazing Dark Side of the Ring episodes mm. covering him, where uh, I'm not necessarily praising him as a person, but I'm praising him as a wrestler. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, I, I would I, say some would say the term separating the artist from the art, but I'm talking about Benoit as a wrestler, and and, yeah, and in the context of in the context of the business, and not necessarily how he was as a person or what he's done. So I would yeah, for me it's kind of um, on the lines of it would be for like even though we joke about like Stephen Richards and Redacted and stuff like that. I think in the context for this podcast and in the context of which we're speaking of, we kind of have to talk about him. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, one, no. for one thing, because for one thing, like for better or worse, he's a lot of his stuff. He is part of some of the most historic moments in wrestling at this time. Yeah. You can't. People, people very much regard him in the company of people like, uh, Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels, and he often used the phrase they could have a five-star match with a broom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm of the like I'm I'm of the opinion of, of a great many people. If of a great many people, he was a great wrestler, and what he did was utterly monstrous. Yeah, and but I feel just for in terms of sheer practicality. We have to at least talk about him. Absolutely. Yeah. When when it comes to it, we, we it's a thing that we, we have we have to address mm, at, yeah. at some point in, in doing this because um, then, a good majority yeah. of two thousand four um, does does have a lot revolve around to do. <laughs> around yeah. him in the storylines. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's get straight into uh, February two thousand four, the night after the Royal Rumble. Uh, Raw starts with uh, Triple H coming out um, and addressing this trademark twenty-minute promo. Ah, Jesus Christ! Alas, 
he couldn't even get a word in edgeways before Shawn Michaels came out. So there you go. Thank That's, God. That, that yeah, was so that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? It's funny. We, it's funny that this didn't come up um, last week. Let's yeah. talk about it this week. Let's talk about Triple H's, Triple H's 20 minute promos where he just that, says, that damned good. No, <laughs> like constantly. Actually, honestly, I think, I, honestly, I think if there's one thing that, um, but that even people who like Triple H will say his promos are always so goddamn long. Yep. I have a like I have been on the opinion that I find his um I find the DX um Hall of Flame the Hall of Flame Hall of <laughs> Fame speech to be utterly unbearable oh. despite it having despite it having really good moments in it mm. just like um everything talking about china his honestly extremely goddamn sweet short moment talking with stephanie <laughs> i reckon but, you should let x-pac run it yeah but honest <laughs> to god i'm like i honestly for a lot of it i was like just shut up i'm sorry <laughs> But it, it's that. It's that thing that always bugs me about Triple H. Because no one, no wrestler in history would be able to get away with lasting that long. It's weird. Even as a kid, and I was watching the McMahon-Helmsley regime storyline arc, even then I was like, this is too damn long. It's just... And the reign of terror, he just went on and on. And it wasn't even in that fun. I'm a heel, so I'm going to hold the mic, or even the I'm the I'm the he I'm the heel, so I'm going to take the mic away from the face. He would start it, and then someone might get a word in edgewise, and then he'd go on again, and you just what someone punch him. So we get <laughs> on with it. If there's one, one, one thing that was really, really good about these mid-long promos, the one would have to be when Mick Foley came out uh, in 99 and uh, as Mankind decided that he couldn't face Triple H at the Royal Rumble, but then took his mask off took his shirt off to reveal a Cactus Jack shirt and beat the yep. holy heck out of Triple H. That's the only time when I ever truly accepted a long Triple H promo. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and while, while we're on the subject, very quickly, Pokedex, what we are referring to is the three faces of Foley. Mick Foley, oh, yeah. has, Mick Foley has three personas and all of them are great. Mankind, Cactus Jack, and Dude Love. They are all great. Uh, personally, I of the I'm of um, I'm a Cactus Jack fan more than everyone else. But I do like Dude Love, and I do like Mankind. Mankind almost makes it, but I think for um, Cactus Jack, I just I just really just love his look. I think that's what does it. I just like I mean, it's just so. I know cool. I know it's a big sidetrack, but I have to say, arguably, peak McFoley was him coming out into the Royal Rumble three times as different people. Yes. Oh, that's that that that's peak McFoley. Agreed. Agreed. Yes. Yes, and for me, I agree with you. Really, Cactus Jack is 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 uh, McFoley's greatest creation. Um, and if you ever go back to watching uh, the FMW death matches he had 
uh, especially uh, the death matches in Japan that he had with Terry Funk as well. Um, you'll understand why that man is considered, or his character anyway, was considered such a fearful figure in the WWE. Yeah. And made brown trouser moments for Triple H in particular. <laughs> yeah. Who, to his credit, sold him like death. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, where were we? Oh yeah, Shawn Michaels interrupting Triple H mid-promo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the, for the first time in this in, in the reign of terror. So yeah, Shawn Michaels comes to the ring, stares down Triple H, just as he's about to say something. Glass shatters. Yes, the sheriff of Monday Night Raw comes down to the ring. Stone Cold Steve Austin, who, by the way, I loved his sheriff of Monday Night Raw thing at that time. <laughs> I always found it so weird. Like <laughs> I'm like I'm as big a Stone Cold Steve Austin Mark as anybody on this podcast. But <laughs> I always found it so strange that like they'd let him be the sheriff. Like yeah. this man. To be fair, who's gonna stop him? <laughs> exactly. Touche. Especially when he's coming down on a quad bike. Who the heck is gonna stop him? Oh yeah, that as well. <laughs> no, like don't get me wrong, I get it. But also like it's like who's gonna stop him? But it's like somebody should stop this man from from basically having his own fiefdom on this show. Uh, oh, just amazing! And let and little a little side for this one. Austin had personally one of my favorite T-shirt designs at the time. I mean, a lot of people talk about Austin three sixteen, the best T-shirt design at that time. But let us never forget the Fock Fear Drink Beer shirt. That is a great, great shirt. Yeah, but it's just I got. <laughs> I mean, I, my. My my personal favorite one is literally just the one that just says what on it. Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> I think it's so simple. It's got so simple, but it's got so much to it that I still love it. And I'm like, I, I'd love to have one today. I, I, I love all of them, but Austin 316 is a shirt that I have needed my entire life and just never had. And I think I will buy one just to be complete. <laughs> Yes, you should. You definitely. It needs yep. to come. I think. I think if any wrestling fan has grown up at least owning a Austin shirt or at least a version of the Austin three sixteen shirts, so. I have never earned yeah. that shirt. Um, listeners on Patreon, please like give us money <laughs> so I can. No, no, we haven't shirt. got there yet. You can't tell them that plan this early. They won't buy into it. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us on our non-existent. Get on it, Dan. <laughs> What do you think this is a charity? <laughs> See, what, have you seen what you've done? Cheers, mate. Now son's crying. <laughs> See what you've done? You've spewed your load too early, just like Rome, they did with Roman Reigns. Oh, 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 oh. So Roman Reigns, they spewed the load early and then they kept trying to do it afterwards. <laughs> when everyone said, hey, maybe you should stop trying to do that. <laughs> Right, man, we're going. I mean, we've only reached February. Good lord, we're going off on some tangents. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love this is, it. This is this is this is before you even got to like the next segment, in which case <laughs> I'm gonna go on. A, I'm gonna go on a bit of my own one. Oh shit! Is it is it your episode today, Dan? It's not my episode today. It's not my episode today. That's coming later, okay. <laughs> which we'll be discussing afterwards, I presume. But yeah, so, so yeah. as Austin 
interrupts both of them. He says that the rematch between Michaels, though the, the rematch that he wants for WrestleMania, might be a little bit of a problem, as uh, as the winner of the Royal Rumble comes out and makes his intentions clear. Yes, SmackDown's Chris Benoit has jumped to Raw, and he is he wants Triple H at WrestleMania 20. And so, the next week, the contract signing is set for Benoit. Except Michaels comes out and proclaims that he is so close to beating Triple H and he is going <clears throat> to do it at the main event of WrestleMania 20. But, before Chris can get a word in Edgeways, Shawn Michaels kicks him and he signs the contract. So, the next week, Stone Cold announces that for the... Blah, 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 Sorry about that, yes. <clears throat> I need water. Don't mind me. <laughs> Can no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> spit, I am not spitting yeah. the water out like Triple H. Yeah, don't spit the water out you, you, on your, yeah. your, your very important equipment. <laughs> oh, my laptop! Uh, not my mic. All right, yes. Uh, yes, for the first time in WrestleMania history, the main event will be a triple threat match for the World Heavyweight Championship. As Triple H faces uh, Shawn Michaels and Chris Benoit. Triple H faces Triple H in an existential crisis. Yes. (laughs) I mean... No, but this this is the bit that I want... I mean, I would. This is the bit I want to mention, though, right? Because we have to to address this, okay? Okay. Dan, the floor is yours. we 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 have Chris Benoit. Who's won the Royal Rumble, right? Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, you win the Royal Rumble when you get your title shot. He's just being treated like a sideman in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> Look, he, he is he is here. He's got he's he's got his title shot. And most other people, it's like you've won the Royal Rumble. You are now like the most important person. It's like, who are you going to challenge? What are you going to do? Meanwhile, Shawn Michaels just comes along. It's like I can do this. I can win. And then Chris Benoit gets put to the side. I'm kind of on the lines of, okay, this is so silly, but I just have to think about it all the time with this. How does that work contractual wise? Like, yeah, because <laughs> that, that it raises so many interesting questions. This, like, this, does that. Does, mm. Like, does that contract, is that contract, like, actually official now? Is that all it takes? Is it all it took for me? Is if I was, like, a stand, like, just in, like, the crowd, if I <laughs> ran in and, let's say... Sign the contract? <laughs> stand, quickly signed the name of the contract and ran out. Does that mean that I count as in the... They're like, what? You signed the contract. That's it. <laughs> This is almost like if, say, Donald Trump is sworn in for the second time as president and then The Rock just just absolutely kicks him, goes for the rock bottom and then goes, not on my watch, Smart, yeah. gets sworn in himself and yeah, now he's I the did, president. Like, I, yeah, like I didn't expect that um, contract shining signing to even in the WWE worked on King of the Hill rules. <laughs> Wait, I mean, to, to be fair, we'll, we'll be we'll be mentioning we'll be mentioning this um, as we get later into it after certain events happen. <laughs> um, but obviously, we are following this uh, this surprise, amazing triple threat match is booked, and we get to WrestleMania uh, XX WrestleMania Twenty, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Um, Sam, if you would like to follow us on, and then I will restart afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. March 
2004, WrestleMania 20, the showcase of the Immortals. One of the great main events in Mania history, if you ask me. I'd agree. Absolutely. So, after a back and forth, technically sound and damn good story-driven match, Benoit locks the crossface on Triple H in the middle of the ring and submits him to become World Heavyweight Champion. And with his best friend and WWE Champion Eddie Guerrero by his side, you have one of probably one of the great feel-good moments in Mania. Absolutely. History. Time paradox. No, Stephen Richards actually won. Let's forget this ever <laughs> happened ever. <laughs> no, but um, to talk about this one again. It's is... amazing how Triple H tapped out to no one. <laughs> He tapped out to uh, vacant. Yeah, brilliant, nice. But no, um, this one is—it is one of those really like one of the great images that unfortunately is scrubbed from the history books. Is of course Guerrero and Benoit in the middle of the ring, champions of their respective brands. The confetti coming down, and in the adulation of the fans in that arena is—it's one of those amazing moments that make you just go, God. The fact that you can't, they can't show this or talk about this anymore is just, it's sad. It's sadder to know that within two years of that, both of them wouldn't be here. Yeah. I, like, I, I'm just like, Eddie Guerrero got screwed. He had a great moment, a beautiful moment, and it will never be shown. Some would argue his crowning achievement. Mm. And because and because of actions not his own, it would never be shown in WWE again. It's just so tragic. Yeah. And, but you know what? It's only when um, I was looking at your um, timeline, I didn't realize that this was during the Reign of Terror. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And... I mean, the the thing the thing to say about it is that this period is much more forgiving per se than yeah. the. The O two to O three, yeah. Because um, like I'm, I'm looking over a lot of the, I've been looking over a lot of the stats stuff um, today and beforehand in preparation. And when you really look at it, a lot of the points afterwards really point, really paint. Sorry, a, a really different picture of how this was running, but it was still was in the reign of terror. Mm, and the yeah. fact that Triple H won clean. Oh no, sorry, uh, lost clean. Um, yeah. yeah is a shock <laughs> um but uh yeah this is uh where it gets a, a little bit more sporadic uh for triple h because uh after this nothing very eventful happens like he's having rematch after rematch against benoit and benoit's picking up the win clean at times uh over the next few months uh i remember one part of here uh, during this little pocket of time uh that he put over shelton benjamin uh yeah um, by count out may i add but still like i will take that that he gave the rub to shelton benjamin and uh just making sporadic appearances in the house show circuit as well so there wasn't yeah. really a lot for uh happening for triple h at this time uh, i think they were trying to build benoit up to be a really good world heavyweight champion despite yeah. the fact that he really wasn't in the main event being booked in the main well event so this is this was going to be the thing i was going to say after my previous point but i really wanted to get to this point about wrestlemania 20 yeah that okay. uh they build up this really big moment and i think for quite a lot of fans at the time 
especially again in the context of the time, seeing Benoit get the uh, heavyweight title was like, okay, this is this is like the moment. Mm. But then they just kind of booked him like a mid carder. <laughs> yeah, it heavily. It was it was a really weird um, set of decisions because you had your champion who was nowhere near the main events. Um, mm. You had this champion who was just kind of fighting, competing against mid-carders, and people just kind of like the number one contendership was like a bigger picture <laughs> than the than the champion. Yeah, it um, was uh, yeah, a weird yeah, time. That, that is really I I you know it's weird. I don't honestly hate it too much. I I can actually see some kind of logic going on there. Mm. No, no, definitely. Because when you have it, because like Benoit was a mid carder, and I could see the the information like, okay, we've gotten this mid carder. He has done the work. He is now world heavyweight champion. And like in a tur- if you look at him just straight up in technical prowess, he deserves to be champion. If we're saying like yeah. this, like this is an actual. Like, if we're going for, like, okay, this is wrestling, this is an actual sport, Chris Benoit is probably one of the more deserving champions they've been. <laughs> yeah. He's, oh, definitely. He's always, he's a tough man to beat. So, and also having, like, so having mid-carders kind of go for him, building up some new, some new highlights for this, yeah. bold, for this brave new it's, world. It's- it, it's weird because they weren't even necessarily like your normal, well, I would say your modern WWE booking where you just get like the champion against a jobber and they just have a squash match. Mm. And you uh, do you want to do Pokedex on those terms? Or... <laughs> okay. Squash match is very simple. It's a match that's a basically a curb stomp. Sometimes literally if you're Seth Rollins. This, yeah. You are... It's not even, it's a match that's not even close. It's a wash, it's a rout. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> devastated. That's a squash. Yeah. Uh, and just for a brief record, a jobber is a wrestler who's normally a kind of uh, developmental talent, or they may pick someone up from a local indie scene whose entire purpose is to lose. A, a strange, that, a, such a strange thing to think of here. Yeah, a, a guy whose job is to lose, but honestly, jobbers are great. Think, um, if you, if you, if we have any comic book readers in our among our listeners, think the shocker. <laughs> yeah, they're the shocker. And if you're like me, who loves the shocker, you'll know that everyone has their favorite jobber. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so tempted to to like pull this entire thing on us just talking about our favorite. Job. Maybe that maybe and... that maybe that can be it. Maybe that can be an, another episode that we can. Yeah, do. I think we got um, that on the list. But the anyway, history but yeah. of the job. So 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 normally what you'll have is you'll have the champion go up against a bunch of jobbers or like basically talent that are otherwise kind of considered surplus uh, just to handily defeat them. So you build them up as this incredibly strong force. It's really common now with WWE bookings and with their Vince's obsession with, uh, Mr. Big Bad McLarge huge. Um, but, um, rather than doing this, you had him kind of in mildly competitive matches against mid card talent, which neither really served to build either of them up. Mm. <laughs> Um, so he kind of went nowhere, and you had this champion who was just kind of 
the world heavyweight champion that was being booked like he held the IC championship. Um, and it was a it was a weird time and spoke to this crippling desire for people who were not the champion to be on top. <laughs> mm. And as I said, like you know, given uh, it was weird that they kept him away from. Uh, Sean and Triple H, despite the fact that, you know, every time he would defend the title, it was usually against those two. Um, It's very strange that they kept him away, considering dude has beaten Triple H clean repeatedly. You'd think that Triple H, Mm. Triple H, would have something to say about that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a weird it's a little weird pocket of time in this in this reign of terror. For, for everyone involved, I think. Um, but I think what they were doing kind of nicely segues into the next chapter. Uh, June 2004. Uh, and indeed the final chapter of the, eight, uh, the Triple H and HBK rivalry. Uh, concluded at Bad Blood. Well, and the only match it could end for these two. Hell in a Cell. Again, <laughs> <laughs> have we um have we talked about Hell in a Cell before? I don't think we have. Reading, it's time to open the Pokedex for what seems like the upteenth time. <laughs> what is Hell in a Cell? Oh boy, Hell in a Cell. The Hell in a Cell arguably is the match to end all matches. <laughs> It was, it used to be, back in the day, it used to be not all that common, actually. Mm. Remember the days when Hell in a Cell was an actual, oh God, and not an actual pay-per-view? I've always found it very strange that they decided to turn Hell in a Cell into a pay-per-view. No, indeed. It makes sense sense business-wise, but (laughs) in terms of... Hell in a Cell is essentially the most hardcore match that WWE can... Safely, massive finger quotes produced. <laughs> it is, in, in in all essence and layman's terms, a giant mesh steel structure yeah. that they put over the ring and over the uh, over the uh, uh, entry. Well, over the uh, yeah, mostly over the ring and around the ring and around. Yeah, the outside. don't let this distract you from the fact that in 1998, the Undertaker threw mankind off hell in a cell. Yes. Um, yeah. The only uh, difference between that and a cage, may I add, is this one has a roof that is about, <laughs> God, about 12, 12 yeah. to about 20 feet high. I mean, well, if I you want my description of Hell in a Cell, I always say it's like a steel cage match, but bigger and with a roof. And hence why yeah. it's not called it... Rage in a Cage. Yeah. yeah. It's also, <laughs> also not to be confused with the female wrestler, Hell in a Cell. <laughs> oh. <Yes>. oh. <laughs> oh goodness but no it is the most hard hate me hate yeah, me go I on do. i do but no uh no there isn't there are no disqualifications no submissions only pinfalls you can use anything including the cell holy god including the cell yeah to literally kill people <laughs> yeah. it is a miracle that no one has died See Mankind 1998. (laughs) If you want to know what Hell in a Cell, what makes Hell in a Cell the match to end all matches, Undertaker Mankind. And also, fun fact, a match that that Triple H has won more than any other wrestler? Yeah, yes. 
That literally doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, talking of Triple H and Hell in a Cell, uh, yeah, this one, again, just an absolute barnstormer of a match. Uh, another bloody affair, but a little bit too long, if you ask me, this one. This one went about f- nearly 50 minutes. Um, I don't know if you two have seen this match, have you? I might have seen this match. I might have. And I think um, I'm always very lenient towards long Hell in a Cell matches just because it's Hell in a Cell. Yeah. Um, yeah, but... I, I think it I think it kind of sometimes tends to lend itself to longer matches just because they want to make a spectacle out of it. Mm. Um, but far too often the matches go on way, way, way too long. Yeah. And yeah, don't like for me don't let that put you off this is this <clears> is one of the greatest hell in a cell yeah. matches if you are i mean me. we should we should we should say that this is also before the time when most wwe pay-per-views were like four hours long yes <laughs> oh, yeah. oh gosh. so they were they they became a much bigger part of the show than they may proportionally been now um yeah so I, I, if i'm thinking correctly like the mankind undertaker Hell in a Cell isn't that long. No. Mm. It's like 20 minutes, if I think correctly. Maybe about that. Yeah. Uh, as well as mostly kind of like uh, other Triple H Hell in a Cell matches, they don't, they haven't gone on for that long. Um, you know, up until that time, of course, we don't go forward in time because that Undertaker Triple H match was pretty damn long, if you'll ask me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, as I said, don't let it put you off. One of the greats and highly recommended and a, a great a great final page to end the book that is Triple H and Shawn Michaels um, in that rivalry. So, gentlemen, for the sake of my sanity, and I think your sanity as well, I am going to do quite a significant uh, time skip uh, because it was at this time uh, the whole eugene thing happened and i really i genuinely don't want to go into the character of eugene and that whole thing because look there are a load of podcasts and and videos and essays talking about the about about eugene and his run in wwe i don't want to get into it I'm pretty sure that Reardon doesn't want to get into it. And I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure that you don't want to get into it as well, Dan. But what I, I will say... Yeah, I will leave. If you guys want to talk about it, you can. <laughs> what I will say is I will highlight that there are two... Uh, that at this time, there were two matches uh, to, to point out for people who kind of are interested and want to look into this. Uh, there was a really great Iron Man match on Raw against Benoit. Uh, for for the World Heavyweight title that Benoit won, thanks to Eugene mm. for some reason. Um, and as well as that amazing uh, match uh, of Triple H versus William Regal where Regal gave probably one of the best promos he's ever had in his career. Mm. Um, but again, ended in a real bloody affair. I remember like Regal being a pool of his own blood at the end of that match. So it kind of set up a really good kind of like drama to that whole thing. But we're going to jump. a lot of blading at that time, wasn't there? Wasn't there? But here's the thing. And the one thing I've been looking at in my, you know, going back and watching this. When they have these bloody matches like the night before in a main event and they'd come out in Raw. 
what I did like, one thing I did like is that you would see Triple H and Shawn Michaels bruised, bloody plasters all over their face. Those two made it look like they had been to war with each other. It's something you rarely see nowadays in WWE. It's really... One thing that I really appreciated was uh, Rusev, when he had that really crazy match. I think he had... And he was selling a... I think it was a shoulder injury or something like that. Mm. And, like, he did... And he sold that shoulder injury for, like, two weeks in a row, I think, or something like that. Yeah. It's the little details, people. It's the little details. It's the little details, indeed. I mean, it's definitely a thing that WWE has moved away from now. Mm. Um that they try and kind of maybe distance themselves away from more, excepting certain matches, like, um, uh, you know, certain, like, big pay-per-view matches, they may have mm. it in there, but they largely try to distance themselves away from it on, like, Raw or SmackDown. Yeah. I think one of the close things, or, or, like, a good example of something being similar to that would have been uh, Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 30 when he had his shoulder and his, and his ribs taped up. Uh, for the entirety of that event, like the beginning yeah, match yeah. and then uh, the main event, but uh, yeah, it's it's one it was one of those weird little quirky things that I saw uh, looking back and watching footage that just doesn't seem to happen anymore. It's like you would like I I'm I'm I wasn't I'm well I'm not surprised or surprised that Triple H one time didn't come out in a full body cast at one point. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something he would do as well oh we totally would have because you know as as we say he's 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 pretty much a mark for the old school wrestling he is he really is so time skip to august 2004 and we will start at, uh, at SummerSlam. Uh, i was around i was coming up to 10 years old Oh, don't make me feel old, Rit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh no, don't worry, I can make you feel older. <laughs> oh, d- d- Dan, don't please, because <laughs> uh, oh no, because uh, you're making me remind me. It's like, oh god, these two probably would never have remembered '98 WWF, would they? And I did, as of the time. <laughs> oh god, no. <laughs> hey, fun fact: when this match came around, I was aged seven. Oh. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh man so right i'm moving straight on right triple h <laughs> defeats, defeats eugene in a match i mean like right like this was never gonna really work i mean the booking was triple h had to resort to interference to win the crowd really was never behind eugene they were tripping uh or cheering triple h i should say sorry uh, i think like the plan they had, it was just—I just think it was kiboshed as soon as both of them made their way to the ring. Um, I don't I even don't know, know if they actually had a plan in the first place. I don't think so. No, I mean, what was the plan to make Eugene a main event star? Like, because if it was, that's a dumb, dumb idea. And it's a shame. I get the feeling they were probably just trying to get Eugene over in any capacity possible. Mm. <laughs> and it's Why? It's a shame on Nick Oh, okay. You know what? No, 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 no. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. I've been holding my tongue. All Eugene right. is awful. Eugene is awful. Even setting aside, even setting aside the unbelievably offensive portrayal of essentially a, a mentally disabled character, he was awful. 
I hated his airplane fist. I hated his promos. I hated that he had that he stunk up everything with Regal. I hate Eugene and I always goddamn will. He was terrible, top to bottom. I don't know how he lasted that long. It's I who thought this was a good idea? Vince. Oh my god. Put it this, this way. This rant brought to you by Rin. <laughs> put it oh. this let's put it this way, Reardon. I feel sorry for Nick Dinsmore being put in the position he was made to be put in. Cause apparently he was one of the big developmental guys in OVW at that time. And mm. Jim Cornette saw him as a massive prospect. But when he got called up to the main roster and was told that he was having this gimmick in particular, I think this was one of the reasons why Jim Cornette um, was deciding to cut ties with WWE. Um, yeah. I mean, going into Jim Cornette and OVW is another thing that I think it's, it's well versed if you like look into Squared Circle or go onto YouTube um, about Jim Cornette and OVW. But it's it's just like you gotta feel sorry for Nick Dinsmore because it's like you're a OVW heavyweight champion, groomed to be like a a, a really good mid carder uh, wrestler going up to the main roster, and then you lumbered with Eugene. But say what you will, he tried his best to make it work. He did yeah. have some he did have time moments where him and Regal did make some good comedy moments. But all in all, the gimmick, yeah. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you see, I, I didn't think that I would be... I thought of all of the things that we would be able to, like, just hold on, hey, all together, as one big happy podcast, it would be Eugene. Apparently not. <laughs> all right. It's, defin it's definitely up there. Oh, it's <laughs> certainly bloody well is. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple universal things that we either universally hate or universally love. And one of them will again come up in later episodes, I'm sure. Oh, one of the one of the things we we can all universally love on this podcast is coming up at the end. Let's be honest. Mm. <laughs> I think I know the thing that. Oh yeah, yeah. I okay. I'm 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 with you on this. I'm with you on this. <laughs> okay, so still sticking with SummerSlam. This was the same SummerSlam that Randy Orton pinned Chris Benoit to claim the World Heavyweight Championship and be at that time. The youngest man to hold a world title in WWE. God will be so naive at that moment. <laughs> I was so surprised as a kid uh, when this happened. I was like, oh, they're giving him the push. Holy crap. Yeah. Wait, like, so that was previous. Do we know who's like, the what, who the new record is? Age, um, I think? Yes. That's right, yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, this was after Randy Orton's, like, really long stint as intercontinental champion and he was going right and this was right in the midst of the legend killer gimmick as well okay let's let's actually really very quickly talk about randy orton uh randy orton i've always i think <laughs> randy orton is my triple h in that at that time <laughs> i loved randy orton mm. i loved it i loved the legend killer gimmick i loved it even though I know it was a bit iffy a At lot times, of the time. Yeah. But I was that guy who loved the legend, who loved it. And I know he didn't like it. I really liked his theme song at that time. <laughs> <laughs> it worked for us. It worked for the character Autumn would eventually 
uh, go into as we go mm. down the timeline uh, yeah. for certain. But uh, yes, so look, Orton, youngest champion of all time, uh, one of the stable mates of Evolution, the future, they would call him, of the business, now world heavyweight champion, you know, a title that has been so synonymous with Triple H at that time. And you know, you knew with that, that eventually in within the storyline and within the universe that seeing Orton as champion is going to eat away at Triple H and it's going to probably bubble up slowly and yep. gradually and they'll come to loggerheads. So how one night after SummerSlam are they going to go through with that storyline? Orton celebrates with his evolution stablemates and then Triple H immediately attacks him and instigates a beatdown on Orton. Um, Oh, uh, well, immediately yeah. one night after a SummerSlam, I see. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe that. I didn't yeah. realise it was... Yeah. I, oh, man. I don't know why, but I thought that it was like at least like a couple of weeks. No. <laughs> it no. was straight after. <laughs> no. Um, we talk about really... I'd also just like to preface this by saying this was also, I believe, pre-RKO Randy Orton. No, this was RKO Randy Orton. He had gotten rid of the overdrive. Thank the oh, okay. Lord, he got okay. rid of the I overdrive. Couldn't, I, for, for a moment, I thought it was at the time when he was using the overdrive and he, when he was wearing the weird shorts. No, no, no. This was definitely like legend. Okay. Pure legend right. killer Randy Orton. Thank God. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and of course with the pun. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So but, um, Yeah, so you have a guy who, in most circumstances... Even if they were in a stable, they would, you know, this would be their moment. You know, you've just crowned the youngest champion. So you're yeah. building up, You this you'd think, this is where you're building up this grand person. You know, and even even if you're talking about Randy Orton himself, you know, he's got a lot of legacy with his family in terms of the, the world of wrestling. It's like a perfect fit. And you've got people like Flair and Triple H to help guide him. You'd be like, oh, this is like perfect. Uh yeah. And then this happened. <laughs> yeah. And And it probably set his career back a good oh. good while. Mm. Yeah. As we get to September two thousand and four. So after Orton has subsequently turned face, uh, after refusing to hand the title to Triple H and of course spitting in that um, um, um that iconic moment i guess you could say in this of orton spitting in his face and then running off and then cheering with the fans the main event for unforgiven is set oh man you want to talk about a burial and a half this main event was like if you were going to try and if you were wanting to push orton as champion man this was i'm, I'm guessing this is the way triple h wanted to do it a, a complete one-sided affair with an exclamation point, just to let you know that Triple H is the man and will always be champion. Like, he regains the title, of course he does. And, oh my god, I remember, again, another thing, of I remember watching this and going, is he going to get any offence in? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was the match that the uh, amazing Brian Zane and Wrestling with Regret said that uh, held back Randy Orton and that maybe if this match wasn't a horrifically one-sided affair, maybe Randy Orton would have been the face that we'd have seen of the, and not John Cena. And I, I really think it holds true. Yeah. yeah. It really um, did take John Cena becoming John Cena for Randy Orton to actually really be back. 
Yeah. I yeah. mean, the thing the thing is that this, you know, you could be the best performer and have the most crowd hype and be so over with the fans. But if this happened to you, I think it would just be a wrap. Yeah. Yeah. It you know, was. This, uh... People talk about golden shovel. This is borderline platinum shovel. <laughs> I just, I can't. It, to me, it still boggles the mind of what was the. Was, was there an intention of Orton being champion or was or was the plan of him all right we'll get the headline of him being the youngest champion but he's transitionary i honestly think that's probably their thinking i think it's the thinking of um yeah we'll have him as transitionary get the um get the point in for evolution but he's obviously too young to be holding that title we need to get it off him as quickly as possible i also think and this you know call me for putting my tinfoil hat on, but I also think it's a bit of pettiness from Vince's part that his greatest creation uh, in Brock Lesnar, him being the youngest WWE champion, had left to join the NFL at that point, and he wanted to stick it to Brock by giving someone else the rubbers, the youngest champion of, of all time. I I, I, I happen to think that might that might be a thing, but as I said, that is just a tinfoil hat. I mean, given me. Vince's track record... And a lot of the discussion around the first half of this, uh, yeah. with the booking obsession of burying every single possible WCW talent that joined after the invasion angle that led to the first years of the Reign of Terror, um, it that that seems incredibly within the realms of possibility. <laughs> yeah. No, it's moments like that with um how they did randy orton that i honestly really feel that like yeah triple h is the wwe in a nutshell no I... no when you made that analogy um yeah. like the moment the moment you said it i it took me a moment to set in and like actually think about but like mm. it genuinely kind of makes sense this this incessant need to be on top this incessant need to be this central figurehead and just like this driving ambition to be the one and the only this mm. pathological i'd honestly say <laughs> yeah oh yeah so moving on time has passed and we are going for another time skip as we now head in to the new year january 2005 so after a couple of months of title defenses against benoit michaels orton on the house show circuit and may i add a very very underrated match on raw against maven maven of hey all remember people. him winner of tough enough one maven um oh god remember tough enough i remember tough enough yeah i remember it <laughs> do, you remember, do, you remember, do you remember when the Miz went on a, a period where he kept reminding people about the fact he was on Tough Enough? Yes. <laughs> but he didn't win it. Let's didn't remember, win let's it. Remember that. Let's remember he but he was on it. it. And he liked to remind us of all that fact. <laughs> uh, so, after all of that, after all of that good stuff, a triple threat match on the November Raw episode saw Benoit and Edge pin Triple H to vacate the World Heavyweight Championship. 
Eric Bischoff sets up at New Year's Revolution in January an Elimination Chamber match for the vacated World Heavyweight Championship. Benoit, Edge and Triple H are in this match and Bischoff includes Randy Orton, Chris Jericho and Batista in the match. Now, I remember this promo very well because it's like uh, Bischoff was in the ring with the title. You had uh, Benoit and Edge come down to the ring staking their claim. And then you had Triple H coming down uh, with Evolution, with Flair and uh, Batista at that time, in the ring talking about who should lay claim or stake claim to the championship. Uh, I remember Bischoff making the announcement, but I also, the one thing I will remember from that promo is when he announced Batista's name. Uh, and yes, I am going to give credit to Kevin Dunn here. The the yeah, camera right. angle he had on Batista as Triple H would, as they kind of did like a mini pull focus on Batista and Triple H, as the shock on Triple H's face is like, <laughs> what, Batista? But he's my friend. I just like You're the little smirk. You're supposed to be my friend. <laughs> ah, there you go. Foreshadowing. You were my several... brother, Anakin. <laughs> or to Rey Mysterio. You're supposed to be my friend. <laughs> oh, but oh um, my god. But yeah, the smirk on Batista's face as well as as that announcement happened and Triple H is looking on uh, at him is is a is a really good moment and kudos to you, Kevin Dunn. You did good. Gold star for you, for once. <laughs> Jesus. So, we skip to New Year's Revolution. And this is starting to seed, uh, sow the seeds of doubt for Batista. As during this match, Orton goes and RKO's Batista for the elimination. With Triple H just idly watching by, resting on the, on the ropes. When he could have broken the pin up at any time any time now like you said with hell in a cell elimination chamber was one of, again one of those stipulation matches that when that was announced you were like oh mama but now that it's had a pay-per-view like named after it i kind of feel like it's kind of lost a lot of its sheen that's actually something I disagree with. I, I think between Hell in a Cell and Elimination Chamber, I think Elimination Chamber is more suited to a pay-per-view kind of thing. Hmm. Like, I can, like, because um, I feel with um, Hell in a Cell, you have to actually... Hell in a Cell should, for me, and how it used to be, was essentially a blood contract. <laughs> you know, like if you if you if you're a wrestler and you stipulate that I want to fight you in a hell in a cell, that means that is the last resort. <laughs> that means that is either your the heel has been running around and you want them inside something where they cannot escape, mm. or you absolutely positively hate a person so much <laughs> that I will go in that I want him in a place where I can just absolutely let loose and I don't care if I am hurt. That's not a stipulation that could be, we're just going to have a pay-per-view on it. <laughs> Elimination Chamber is essentially is essentially a mini Royal Rumble of its, of, of its kind. 
Yeah, the Elimination Chamber itself is an interesting format <laughs> with yeah. a just how it works anyway and given... with this kind of gradual mm. drip feeding in of wrestlers yeah. um, and not least the fact that the outside of the ring is just pure steel and, given... and you have the pods as well. Yeah, like given this was uh, kind of like an offshoot of Triple H's intention to bring war games to the WWE. It's 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 an it is an it is a very it's an interesting yeah. one. That's I'm, I'm glad to see that there is a slight difference between us guys in terms of elimination yeah. chamber and its yeah. oversaturation. Yeah, I mean it, it's definitely an interesting one because, like we said, with you know um, the one I always think back to is how. Uh, eventually, Extreme Rules became a pay per view. Yeah, Extreme Rules has been a pay per view. I the only reason why I let them get away with it is because I really like Extreme Rules. But but, and, but like to me, it's so weird though because before it was like, oh, you're challenging someone to an Extreme Rules match. Okay, someone you're going to project that someone might actually die. Now there's just a pay per view and there's like one match. And it's not like a tables match. Yeah, yeah it's not. I, I... Sorry, I one one quick pull note about um, Extreme Rules. <laughs> I think Extreme Rules would come off a lot better if the wrestlers actually acted like it was Extreme Rules. Mm. I remember this great point that was made with um, when one of the Bellas was in an Extreme Rules match. And the point was made that she was still in her regular attire. Hmm. Like, why the hell are you in your kind of booty shorts in a match where but where the idea is that barbed wire could be coming out any moment? <laughs> yeah, like, like, I have, there's, why there's, like there's, a, there's a lot to on there's a lot to unpack in it. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. on one hand I love I love Elimination Chamber just because of like the entire premise of how it works. Mm. And I think it's there's so much that you can do with it. But at the same time, I'm like, it 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 doesn't really seem to favor anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, if you're a big powerhouse, then it's like, okay, you're probably gonna do like the the spear through the pod. If mm. you're a high flyer, you're gonna just jump off the top of the pod. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um... I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of room for innovation. Yeah, I feel like maybe. This is just like a, a quick thought that I've had. Maybe um, Elimination Chamber would have been be best if it was replaced with like the Championship Scramble. I have very mixed thoughts on the Championship Scramble. Oh, <laughs> I like the Championship Scramble. <laughs> yeah, well, we're all, all the hot things. <laughs> right yeah, I, I, like, I admit the, the, in the theory it's been much better than the practice. I admit that. <laughs> I've always dug the championship scramble. <laughs> I've always dug it. Oh, so soon enough, Reardon's going to be saying he liked every gimmick match that Vince Russo ever made, like Judy Bagwell <laughs> on a forklift match or the King of the Mountain. <laughs> I, I, you will know that I've officially gone on drugs when I um, start going for those um, go for when I go into TNA X's on a roof or whatever the hell <laughs> I bet all I'm saying is you've jumped the shark if you say your favourite match stipulation of all time is Viagra on a pole match anyway <laughs> <laughs> Triple H in this is victorious and is the new world 
heavyweight champion. It's weird saying new. Again. <laughs> new yeah, champion new. at Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we have that first little bit of, of, of this bubbling rivalry. So, at Royal Rumble 2005, the same month, we see Orton's last stand at Triple H and the World Heavyweight Ch- uh, Championship. Yes, it's another one-sided affair, seeing Triple H get the win. Oh, gosh. Again, it's not much to say about this. And Dan hit the nail on the head, and Brian Zane, in fact, hit the nail on the head. It took years for Orton to recover from this. Mm. (laughs) And to become a a champion again. It took him so long. Uh, And even then, I think it was a bit... Wasn't it? I think it was an actual... It was an accident, wasn't it? I think it was when John Cena got injured that I think he became champion again. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I think you're correct there. You know what I just thought of? I thought back way back when it comes to like Triple H and Randy Orton at this time to Triple H, Hunter, first Helmsley specifically, and the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. Oh my God, don't remind me about the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> Do you remember when he now sold the pedigree at WrestleMania? Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> I, I think like it's a weird history repeating itself. People... <laughs> Like the um, like the bullied becoming the bullies kind of thing going on there. It's so weird. <laughs> so 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 weird. But you That's know what? We're even, here exactly, and you know what's even weirder? This Royal Rumble, Royal Rumble 2005, was that Royal Rumble. It saw Batista <laughs> win in one of the most. Famous endings to a Royal Rumble match ever. Oh, oh, please enlighten the audience about one of my please. favorite Royal Rumbles. Let's just time. say this. There's a lot there's a lot to unpack in this moment. <laughs> so John Cena, Batista, the final two uh remaining in the Royal Rumble match. Batista goes for the Batista bomb, but kind of staggers back with Cena on his shoulders. So much so they hit the ropes. Both of them flip off the ropes. And instead of the proposed plan originally was for Cena to land first and Batista to land second, both of them, with sheer luck and probably the most amazing thing I've ever seen, hit the ground at the exact same time. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, what Lex Luger and Bret Hart should have done in Royal Rumble 94. Except, as we all know, Hart, Brett hit the ground first. It's one of Thank the you, great. Lex Luger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just so we just so the quickly uh, now, I don't. We've never had this. Mention, I mean, we've never explained what the Royal Rumble actually is. Hey, all is, right, Rid. Weird. Pokedex. Pokedex. The Royal Rumble. One of the greatest ideas in wrestling history. It's so. It's so simple. During a a predominant amount of time. A, rest, a wrestler, two wrestlers will start a match, and in a designated amount of time, let's say it, it varies, it fluctuates, even in even in between like actual <laughs> matches. It, but estimate around two minutes, and every two minutes, a new wrestler comes in. The only way to get a wrestler out is to get them off the top rope, and this is important: both feet have to touch the ground. This stipulation is one of the greatest stipulations and has led to some of the most mad 
hilarious and awesome moments. One of the one of the um, key innovators of the modern era has been Kofi Kingston, even though he stopped yep. doing it, which is a shame, but I understand why. Who has made sure that he has done literally everything in his goddamn power to not touch the feet, not touch the floor with his feet. <laughs> so when you have Batista and John Cena both touch the floor with both of their feet at the same time, it's a problem. Who won that match? Pandemonium <laughs> ensues as referees gather and try to clamor and lift both of their arms in the air, declaring which one is the winner. Apparently, there's, there's a fantastic, there's a fantastic moment where one, whether I, I well, I assume because obviously the refs are supposed to know what the results are, and yeah. immediately goes over to Batista and raises his arm, and then another one goes over to John Cena and raises yeah. his arm straight it's, after. It's one of the greatest improvised moments. I've ever seen in wrestling. Backstage, everyone is losing their shit. More so, the owner of the WWE and general and general consensus of him being the devil incarnate on this podcast. Vince McMahon <laughs> runs out of of gorilla position, which is the backstage area. Piss and vinegar in every step he's taking down the ramp. Takes his uh, suit jacket off. Throws it in the ground. He is purple in the face. And just in sheer anger and adrenaline. Instead of walking up the steps and going and, and crossing the threshold through the ropes, he decides to just dive right under the ropes. Dive. Tearing both quads in anger. Trying to stand up. Falls down like a newly born deer. And proceeds to shout at them sitting down like a little kid in a Punch and Judy show. Take that, Kevin Nash. <laughs> <laughs> One oh, of the greatest I just moments is his barking orders at the refs, telling them I... to restart the match. Everyone's <laughs> just trying to figure out what's happening. Vince is there, <laughs> sitting in a chair, screaming at people after he's torn both his quads trying to get into the ring. One and the... it's like... Everyone's looking so confused, and I think the best part is if you look at the fan reaction, no one can tell what's meant to be happening. No one can tell if this is a work, if this is a shoot, if this is like, you know, has has someone has someone gone off script here? <laughs> one of the perfect moments, and again, I am going to give another kudos to Kevin Dunn, is at one point as Vince is sat down. The realization of what has happened hits him as Kevin Dunn directs the camera to zoom in on his shocked face, going, "Oh God, <laughs> yeah. I just torn both quads." I'm going to watch that moment immediately after we have done with this. I, oh my God, it is it is perfect wrestling. It is perfect wrestling. Just encapsulated in one little moment. So the match is restarted, and very quickly, uh, Batista goes uh, for the Batista bomb, throws Cena over the ropes, and we have our actual finish. Batista wins the 2005 Royal Rumble. And God, I'm so glad we got to talk about that moment <laughs> so yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> if you are listening, I will not be mad pause this podcast right <laughs> yeah. now yep. and type it in Batista 
John Cena Royal Rumble. I guarantee, I guarantee you will not be disappointed. Oh, not one. I have the biggest grin on my face right now just thinking that to it. I am just going to say this. There was a point where I muted my microphone because I was laughing. I didn't want to interrupt people. Look, we'll be waiting, so you know we'll be here whilst you do whilst you go do that. So uh, you got all the time in the world. Please, please <clears throat> look it up. I'm begging you. If you do nothing else that we ever say ever, look it up. <laughs> so that brings us to February 2005. So Triple H goes through Edge and Orton in multiple world title defenses on Raw during this Edge match. Funny enough, taking place in Japan, and I think one and only time Raw has done a live show in Japan. I remember that show. Yeah, no, I actually remember that one. Mm, Batista interferes in that match and gives Triple H, uh, regains the title. Um, so I remember the moment after celebrating, Batista, you know, does all the whole hot dogging and grandstanding, does the celebrating, lifts Triple H's arm up with the title in hand, and just ominously stares at the title. And Triple H is looking very anxious. He's very anxious. Is like, oh no, D- Dave. Dave, what are you doing? <laughs> Give it to us, Triple H, my love. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. As uh, as we go into two fa- March 2005, and the cracks are starting to show in evolution. With Flair and Triple H's master plan to take over WWE at the forefront, Batista is starting to doubt their loyalty. In a backstage segment, a really famous backstage segment in Raw, Triple H admits that he tried to convince Batista that JBL attacked him on Raw when it was in fact Triple H. Now, if you remember, Triple H tried to get footage of JBL from SmackDown, looked like it was on Raw. He got a white limo, tried to put the ball horns on it and tried to run over Batista. You know, the super 9,000 IQ strategy. Exactly. (laughs) So at the same time, he's belittling Batista behind his back, saying he could never take on the game, and that's why he should go to SmackDown for the WWE Championship. And of course, little did they know, little did Flair and Triple H know, as the camera pans back out of the locker room, who should be in the doorway listening in? But Batista... I would just like to say, disregarding like the logic and universe of wrestling, I have to say that does sound like a stupid plan to use on someone like Batista, where you keep saying, well, there's no way you could beat Triple H. I feel like for Batista, I'd just be like, well, I'm going to take on Triple H and beat the shit out of him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let, you know what? We've actually, we've actually kind of gone past a little bit. Let's talk about Batista a little bit at this time. Yes, it is. I mean, I'm I'm glad you brought it up because the next. Segment... I mean, I'm I know I'm just gonna say this. I'm reading ahead in the kind of. I mean, we don't have a script, but kind mm. of a episode plan per se, and it's gonna get to one of my favorite Batista moments of all time. I'm glad you brought mm. this up now, Red. In that case, because yeah, we are coming but... up to that. But Batista, in general, I did not appreciate Batista, Batista, Batista nearly enough, and even back then, I loved him. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh man! If there's one thing we can all agree on, going back to that statement earlier, is that we're all really big fans of Batista. Like, yes. as a person, <laughs> let alone a wrestler. Yeah, like, yeah. He he has come out of wrestling as a great wrestler. He's not as good as he could have been, but that's just due to the like he got in a, just a little bit too late. Mm. But 
as a guy and as one of the greatest science fiction actors right now, which is oh, yeah. insane to think about, especially <laughs> when you think of... You know what? You know what I think about? I think about like when he came back for his final match against Triple H. Hmm. And I was quite excited because I was like, here is Batista who has learned how to be an actor, learned how to be a great actor. Like, legitimately great actor. Yeah. And then he comes back, and I was thinking, like, we're going to have, like, basically, practically Shakespearean acting going on. <laughs> and then he comes back, and he is back to 2004 acting Batista. You're going to give me what I want. Give me, give, and he's spitting. Just so much spit. Look, you can't be Drax in all situations, as much as I wish I could be. Exactly. <laughs> I yeah. But no, um, Batista is great, has one of, if not the greatest spine buster in wrestling history. Arguably... Yeah, we, we, we pretty much agreed on this. It's yeah. probably one or two spot. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and strangely enough, one of The Undertaker's greatest ever opponents. Yes. Yep. Just what a guy. What a guy. What's that? You want me to mention WrestleMania 23 again? <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, but no, I, I, I absolutely love Batista. Um, as my friends will know, I'm not really a, a massive fan of the what we're terming stereotypical Vince McMahon, Mr. Big Bad McLodge, huge villain man. Mm. Um, but I mean, for me, Batista was on a completely different level to a lot of the guys who are around filling that role now. Mm. Um, and yeah. he was just so impressive in the ring. And, so... and like we were saying about his spine buster, and like he used to do it and just stand up immediately afterwards as if it was like no issue to him doing it. Mm. We all love the Batista bomb. Just... It's, I don't know how he got such a simple power bomb over, but every time you just love it. Yeah, I don't know what he, it... he, it's just the way he made. It's just the way he made it look. Yeah, like he had so much to it, and you know he was such a good. I mean, just such a good performer anyway. He could put on great matches, and was again just at a time when often being a big man was just like, haha, I'm gonna pick you up and do a military press fall away slam. Um. <laughs> And, but he was actually like, oh, you've got variety to him. There's a lot that he can do, a lot of people he can work with. Um, the time he did the tag team run with Rey Mysterio, which was a great pairing. <laughs> uh, and we bring, and yet um, again, we bring up, you're supposed to be my friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, there, there, was, there was a lot to him. There was a lot to him to love. And, um, you know, like I said, he is, he is a, up and around there in a amongst my personal favorites yeah one of the most intimidating wrestlers wwe's ever had and i i feel like his his movement around the ring his selling but also the fact that he made every move that he ever did look like it hurt like an mnf yeah. um really really sold the idea that this guy was like an animal who could not be stopped um also as a was that a banging feet entrance? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, let's go to the most famous moment 
of this. The code, the 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 contract negotiation on Raw uh, as both GMs of Raw and SmackDown are in the ring and trying to, you know, get them on his side or get him on their side, I should say. So Evolution comes down and Batista's there doing the whole spiel, entrance spiel with Triple H and Flair clapping. Like doing a golf clap, it's like, look at our boy, he's going to smack that. He is, hey, look at that, <laughs> look at that. You got Bischoff and Teddy Long, you know, having their side Hold of on. the argument. Yep. Um, you've got, uh, sorry, I thought you were going to say something there. <laughs> no, all I had to say was Holla. Holla, Holla, player. No, no, no tag team matches have been booked for this podcast, oh. <laughs> and it's taking place right now. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, they make their side of the arguments and then Triple H is doing the whole thing, showing kind of like the, oh, could you imagine if like Flair, like the time if in the Four Horsemen, if Flair was NWA champion and Arn Anderson was WWF champion? Oh, could you imagine a time when DX, where Sean was WWE champion and I was WCW champion? It's never happened before. You know what you need to do. You need to become WWE champion and we'll take over the WWE. So, you know, he does his whole argument. Batista grabs the mic and goes, Hunter, I knew what I was going to do a long time ago. Throws the Raw contract down. <clears throat> in a famous image, lifts their SmackDown contract up, giving the thumbs up to Triple H and Flair. As all you can hear is Flair going, Yeah, it's the top, it's the man. Oh yeah, my God. <laughs> I had to because if I did Dusty I have to do Flair beautiful oh, <laughs> I'm just like ready to do the motion like behind yes, this and we're not even recording face cam so with a big grin on his face Batista's smiling the smile fades he points the farm down the crowd pops mad and Flair and Triple H are shocked but not before Triple H mouths the word motherfucker, and then Batista close-eyes him, <laughs> throws Flair out of the ring, rips his shirt off, grabs Hunter, Batista Bob exploding through the table. He's made his mind up. He's staying right here on Raw. What a pop. God damn. What a moment. I love I, that moment so much. I can still see it clear as day. Just... Just the best. Every contract signings try to follow from that, and it's never, ever equaled that contract signing. <laughs> you can try, but you will never, ever, ever beat that one. They tried with the Paige and Charlotte thing, but oh boy, we don't talk about that one. <laughs> uh, oh God. Yeah. And so, we, gentlemen, we come to the final chapter, April 2005, WrestleMania 21. So, we've seen Undertaker add another body to the streak. Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels put on an absolute wrestling clinic. Oh my god, just a disgusting mm -hmm. thing. A match so good that it actually makes you feel ill, like people <laughs> just shouldn't be this good in anything in general. Yep. Uh, Guerrero and Mysterio putting on one of the best opening matches in oh. history. <sighs> Granted, it's not as good as Halloween Havoc, 
But to say that it's still one of the best opening matches in Mania says something about how good Eddie and Ray are. Sam, what in this life is as good as that match in Halloween Havoc, honestly? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I will look, I will have, one day I will have my baby in my arms. I will look dead in its eyes and I will love it to pieces. But whatever it does will still not be as good as Halloween Havoc. <laughs> I, future child. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you have got a lot to you've got a lot to equal that future child. Anyway, this was also the first Money in the Bank match, which saw Edge victorious, and John Cena, of course, claiming his first WWE Championship. <clears throat> it's a lot of historic moments happened at twenty one. Mm-hmm. So this yep. night, the main event, we saw. The second time Motorhead botched Triple H's theme song. Look, <laughs> God bless, God bless Lemmy, but good God, you could tell he did not like performing that song because, like, he half just, the time he just like made lyrics up as he went along. He just didn't give a shit. That's the. I mean, we are talking about Lemmy here. No, 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 no. I get that, but even for him, he didn't give a shit. It's actually kind of fascinating that his that both. Lemmy theme songs are some of the greatest, like, rock songs, let alone wrestling theme songs. And yet the man doesn't care about them at all. <laughs> doesn't like them. It's like, wow. I mean... Well, it's like, it's, it's, the, it's the thing of, like, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not asking anyone to take this as a quote or anything, but I think it was one of those cases where, like, he'd done it, and then afterwards, like, he just kind of regretted it, because now it's just, like, I think he, like, refused to play it at shows and stuff. Yeah. Oh, mm. uh, I mean, it was. It I just was... remember it for the laughing bit. That that's it. I love yeah. it so much because it sounds. Like <laughs> if you've ever if you ever watched any new Legacy Inc, you'll you'll know the reference. God, <laughs> Dino, Johnny, you absolute memes, you two. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's so so silly, but. You know, another great Triple H entrance. <laughs> oh yeah, let's let's not forget that you know this was Triple H versus Batista in the main event in quite a good match, and really, yeah, one of the best ways you could have put over Batista and make him seem a legitimate person, a legitimate main event guy, and maybe just maybe the the next guy, um, Batista's crown new world heavyweight champion, thus signalling the end of the reign. Of terror. <sighs> Indeed. So now Triple H would go on to face Batista in two more pay-per-view matches. One of them, the ending, being a really good Hell in a Cell match. And again, of course, yep. Of course, he'd go on to gain the WWE Championship on multiple occasions over the years. But Mania Twenty One would be the bookend to a very, very long and emotionally taxing time to be a WWE fan, gentlemen. We've done it. We've reached the end. Oh my god. <laughs> so, Congratulations I, I, and thank very... you for attending the support group. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm Sam, you've done more research on this than any of us. <laughs> yes. You have, you have wasted numerous amounts of hours of your of your time on this earth. I'm very curious, has this changed anything you feel about Triple H? Um, 
maybe. I kind silence. of. I I I, I leave a lot of silence <laughs> add uh, drama and tension. No, maybe. I think I have a great greater respect uh, in the sense of this time for the matches he put on with Sean. Um, mm. But going through this back catalogue of stuff, I still feel. I still feel the same way I did as a kid then about Triple H um, at the time uh, of, of all this. Is that, man, I hate his guts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so not only is he a good heel, um, yeah, he was a master burying machine. And yeah. uh, But, you know, say what you will, Triple H is Triple H. His contributions to the WWE are questionable at best. And he does not shy away from the fact that he is the biggest WCW mark in wrestling history. <laughs> but he has made his impact on the world. It's just a shame that he did it in such <clears throat> terrible, terrible circumstances. <laughs> I would say so. I would agree. Yeah, I mean, I know for myself, going through a lot of the stuff in preparation and, you know, reading up and this and. It has been really interesting to see that how some people have kind of tried to justify it. Mm. Um, you know, like I've seen a lot of people saying that, you know, it was just this thing of, you know, they wanted a monster heel. There wasn't really anyone else at the time that they thought could hold this kind of big place. And so it kind of seemed almost natural. Mm. And, you know, there was a lot of it that you know a lot of it that may have been that the early days were just because they wanted to eliminate the traces of WCW or any kind of invasion angle <laughs> and you know they were kind of struggling to fill this space and that maybe this was the best way to do it mm. but at the same time i kind of looked at it and i think that there were so many better ways that this probably could have been done <laughs> yeah. um and that, you know, a lot of the decisions that they made really just came off bad in how they were trying to do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, I am a little more sympathetic at this part of the Reign of Terror than I was at the previous part. <laughs> Despite... <laughs> Strangely enough, there be more chances to get off this train on this part. Yeah. I think that's the frustrating thing about it, is that you can actually kind of see a weird logic to it. <laughs> but on the other hand, any amount of like creativity or just letting go, just let go. <laughs> Would have been able to completely save this. I if if the Reign of Terror had lasted just for a single year, I honestly think that it would be considered a great, a great, or at the very least interesting year in WWE history. But just this need, this unrelenting need mm. for this one guy to be essentially the face of the WWE for all intents and purposes. Just it, it led to bad ways, you know. And like a lot, a lot of the stuff reading through, where you know, saying about 
Benoit earlier, where he was the champion, yet still not even actually the focus of the show. Yeah. Um, yes. Where, you know, lots of this stuff was happening. And, you know, I want to believe that in some weird way, maybe this was some long plan for the introduction of Batista, but we know that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> we know yeah. that it's not... No way that they were playing the long game with that. You know. No. <laughs> with, what they did, with what they did to Orton, who could have easily been a new face of the company by that point. And given... By what they could have done for, you know, Edge, who was slowly moving up from the mid-card and away from the tag team division. Mm. And given at that time, if you would, if if that were true, <clears throat> in two thousand and two, Batista was just called up to be called Deacon Batista, and yes. the Reverend oh. Devon's manager and lackey, which he did not like to speak on. Uh, right. So for you two, I'm interested and curious to know if you want to know the stats of Triple H's reign of terror. I am intrigued. Triple H's Reign of Terror by Numbers. Also, I just want to give a quick thanks, not only to the Squared Circle Reddit, but to Lousy Goose on Reddit for being for collating all of the numbers for this. So, they are a hero, and they deserve the credit, not me for this one. So, Triple H had a total of 99 televised and pay-per-view matches during his Reign of Terror. 72 matches on television and 27 on pay-per-view. Triple H won a total of 52 <clears throat> matches, a 53% win rate, lost 39 times, and had a match end in a draw or no contest eight times. Wow. Of his 27... I think some people don't even manage that in their entire career. No contests or draws. <laughs> yeah. I know for a fact that there are so many that don't end on with any draws whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, so, of his 27 pay-per-view appearances, 16 of which he main-evented, Triple H won 16 times, lost 10, and drew 1. Triple H won 36 of his 72 TV matches, given an even 50-50 win rate, with 29 losses and 7 matches ending in a draw or no contest. Holy cow. <laughs> I think the thing that um, I'm actually kind of shocked that it's all it's just over 50 percent with mm. the with the win rate. I honestly thought we'd be entering the sixty percent or higher. <laughs> That's just how I. Remember. Yeah, true. I mean, like to be fair, I think it was the case where a lot of his losses were either in either non-title matches or with mm. DQ, and by WWE rules, you can't lose the title on a DQ. Yeah, that's true. Oh, and so that concludes yet another episode of the Sweet Chinwag podcast. Thank you so much, guys, again for this. It's been it's been an experience. It's been a journey and a half going yeah, down. It's this. been a journey, but we've all helped road. each other through it together. We've all been through the trenches together. Exactly. So next episode. We're going on to a brand new topic. Thank goodness for that. No, yeah. for this topic, it's going to be a very interesting one. It's going to be titled, It Should Have Been Him. How WWE Ruined Dolph Ziggler. This... I don't know why, but that hurt me a little bit more than I <laughs> So, from myself and from these two lovely gentlemen here, 
This has been the Sweet Chinwag Podcast, and we will see you on the next episode. Goodbye! Thank you and goodbye!